Greetings and welcome to the show. This time on the podcast, my guest is Bilal Sami. He is a Pakistani-born filmmaker, screenwriter, and director who is a Fulbright Scholar to the U.S. at Ohio University for his MFA in film. I got to meet him this past spring, actually it was last fall, when he screened his feature film that he produced and wrote at the Athena Cinema. Uh, He writes lyrics for Pakistani pop stars. He has done documentary work, commercials. He's a very talented guy and really fun to talk to. I got a chance to sit down with him, and that is what you're about to listen to. You also get to listen to my terribly inconsistent pronunciation of Pakistan. But uh, enjoy. Thank you for agreeing to be More than <laughs> I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that really stuck out to me when you were talking last night was about what the film culture in Pakistan is actually like. Mm-hmm. And so you came to film school without a huge background in cinema. Uh, in making cinema, yeah. But, but it's not like we were closed off to the rest of the world in terms of watching, you know, cinema. We didn't actually have an indigenous cinema happening at that time that one could be part of. Uh, but it's not like I wasn't watching the same movies that you guys, or at least the, you know, the, the blockbusters that go everywhere uh, got to us as well. Uh, okay. And then some of the other indie, like like I was saying, like some, some eclectic stuff, some, some random like B movies, lots of those horror stuff. Completely randomly curated by, you know, the people who were pirating them, bringing them, who also themselves did not know what the hell they were getting. Uh, just It's just a volume business of, like, whatever they can get from China, which is where the pirating was happening in those days. So it wasn't actually a blockbuster? No, 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 no. I said, like, the store is, is it works in the same sort of model, but it's not a blockbuster at all. It's just... All of it is pirated. None of this stuff, none of the VHSs that they had were real. Every single VHS, and they would have the same number that a blockbuster here does. Mm-hmm. They would all be pirated. And Did they have covers <coughs> on them? Did they have artwork or anything? No, just nothing. It's just a black blank. Uh, the, the, the there was a, the little local industry had sprung up uh, in printing the front labels. Mm-hmm. So somebody would design like a shitty label with like the name of the thing. So it wasn't just a marker. But it was just that label that they had in mind, like they came up with. And so, you know, it varied from depending on where you got it or who was pirating. And there mm-hmm. were these private operations that would pirate them. Uh, very like, you know, the, the think, think like an underground sort of scene. But it was right. like pervasive. Like everybody, every town, every, not every town, every neighborhood had a few of these stores. And you would go and you would like, you know, pay your 15 rupees, which would be a buck right now, I guess. Okay. Uh, 15, no, no, it would be 15 cents, sorry. And you, 15 rupees would get you, you know, a, a VHS for like one day. And then, you know, the same, it's the same model that, you know, if you keep mm-hmm. it for three days, you pay three times as much. And sure. uh, so, yeah, no, no official thing. Very, very close to when the <clears throat> DVD thing was happening. Uh, when DVD had, had almost started coming in um, is when this company officially um, it was called Pulse Global, I remember it, because there was only one company that bought the rights or went into some sort of a licensing deal with one of these big studios and started bringing in real VHSs. Uh, and they, I remember that because, you know, those were the only movies. One, the print was always good, because when you were getting these pirate prints, one, there would be, you know, there's a quality loss every time you copy it because it's physical, the medium is physical. Right. And the other thing was, like, we got, um, you know, a camera print, which would be, <clears throat> you don't even know what a camera print is, do you? Do you mean, uh, no, not really. Explain, yeah, so please. a camera print is when somebody goes into a cinema and puts up a camera. Oh, oh, they, they film <laughs> the screen. They film the film, yeah, oh, they film man, the screen. So like the a cam- yeah, it is. But that's how we got a bunch of movies. And then there were qualities within the camera. It was like, it's a first camera or it's like a good camera print as opposed to a bad. And, you know, within that, people had sort of mastered, you know, people who did that regularly knew mm-hmm. how to make those. Like, so, you know, you would... The really good ones, you could, you know, it would, they would do a pretty good job of actually making a... Would they be video. close to the projector, maybe? Yeah, they, they'd figured out some... I don't know what the hell they did, but they'd figured out some system in which, you know... But you would, every once in a while, like, you know, the dead giveaway was like, you know, the person gets up and, like, moves across <laughs> across the screen. And we're like, oh, this is not a real print. Mm-hmm. But, but then when Pulse Global came in, was the first time there was a license, and we realized, like, it was legally being done. And all those movies were subtitled. Okay. Uh, for this market, and but then it was a, it was a limited selection because whatever the licensing deal was, I don't know which studios they were with. So the movies that they wanted to send this way were the movies that were coming in. So before you came to 
the OU's film program, mm -hmm. were you more interested in just like like cinema as um, like an academic thing, like the master's program, master of arts program, or did you want to make films from the beginning? That was what I you wanted to do. Wanted to make films from the beginning. There are no film schools in Pakistan now. There are film schools in Pakistan, and I was heading one when I uh, like a year ago or something when I went back. So oh, okay. film schools have sprung up post my me coming to MFA. The reason I couldn't go to an MFA or like or, or any sort of a film educational sort of structured program was because one did not exist in Pakistan at all, anywhere. So you started uh, one? Uh, so I didn't start one, but one of the new ones that I went back to one that had just started and then I taught there for two years and in the last six months of it, I was heading the department, but then I left to do the movie. Okay. Um, so, but back in those days, yeah, I, 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 I wanted to do the degree for the craft, uh, learning the craft, because I had not been formally educated. I'd been doing it for 10 years, more than that actually. Um, but but not film, TV, which is the same. It's like a single camera, so the same setup, mm -hmm. uh, video, really, not film, um, which is what television is in Pakistan. So you're just teaching yourself. You are teaching myself, learning from being on different crews. Usually I was writing, because I started off as an actor, so you sort of start up, like I started off on a different sort of scale. So it wasn't like you know, low down in the crew, I came into it from like sort of a top down sort of a thing because actors are, you know, the, you know, you're the, you're, you're the expensive commodity on a production. Right. So like first acting, then I started writing. When I started writing, then I directed a few things and then I made a little production company and then I would hire people to do obviously a crew to do the, you know, the filming and all that. Mm -hmm. And you learn basically on the set what everybody does. And from a varying sort of skill level from everyone that not everybody knew what they were doing but they were still doing it so um, I knew <clears throat> that I was severely deficient in um, technical know-how but also I was doing things sort of instinctively and based on you know just watching movies you were like okay so like but I you know you learn the real basics of you do you know this is how you do coverage this is what a master shot is this is and OTS, this is the 180 degree, you don't like, you know, the line of all that. So you, you learn that on the set, but this reverse idea of like, okay, what, you know, why, what is the visual architecture of this movie? And stylistically, what are we trying to do? And, you know, how are we going to frame stuff? Or like that conversation never came up because I never was in an environment where this was seen as this holistic sort of complete so it's almost like building with, like somebody threw a bunch of, <clears throat> you know, this bucket of Lego, uh, where I knew sort of what each piece was or like, and then you sort of construct out of that. But I didn't know how those, the separate pieces were constructed or what the, what the right way of doing any of that was. Um, and so when I came here, uh, I realized that a bunch of things I w was I was doing right. So like it's sort of like somebody came and sort of structured that information that I already had into something that you know made sense. So this is the order that things should be in. Mm -hmm. uh, there were other things that I was that that were a hundred percent the same. Uh, more mostly you know related to logistics and and the sort of production management work, which is the same everywhere. And that's not technical. That's just bare bones like you know logistics. And then there were other things that I that that I knew that I had massive holes in my sort of vocabulary for sound, for example. Right. But I didn't know how big those holes were, and they were pretty big. Um, sound even now is like the worst sort of like the way it's done back home. It's not even sound. This is more high tech than sound can be, or like this is as 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 technical as sound would be on like a professional set which is bizarre really do this get uh, like an omnidirectional <clears throat> mic and pray for the best just, yeah pretty much or like they'll have a boom pole and a, and a really poor quality boom mic and you know just connectors that are fizzing out and have crackle in them and that's all being like you know fed into the the camera itself and there's no like monitoring or so hi highly problematic like not something that people invested in the best that they got is the best that they got and made sure like just all you were focusing on is Let's get the, the dialogue. Let's mm -hmm. just capture that somehow. So are, are you putting things in, in post to try to clean everything up when you're doing this kind of project? Sort of. Sort they of. are. Sort of, at the best that they can. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's things like that that then create this um, almost like a culture of, or, or this tradition of uh, using, being very heavy-handed with the background score. 
you know, because that you're you're sense. covering a a lot of like you know noises basically, and you do the best that you can with the. You will get dialogue. The dialogue was done fine because they'd lab them up, and you know the lab was working fine. It got recorded, and or like the boom was working okay. But that was the extent of the sound thing, and pirated music or like whatever they could find, you know, for for the score, and just you know lather it up and lay it on heavy and thick and just keeps playing in the background sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's. I, one aesthetically because I you know I did watch movie, we all watched other movies so we knew that this is there's something seriously wrong here, but I didn't have any like sort of technical information on that stuff. Cameras are still easier to sort of navigate I feel because we all so at some point or the other even like I used to you know SLR cameras and so mm-hmm. you know a little bit about all of that stuff and the older generation of like digital cameras were also fairly basic. Um, in terms of like what you could do with them, they're not not as dynamic as they are now. They, you know, the ISO limit was limited. Um, sort of using a, the standard zoom lens on it, so like you know, you're not really changing lenses. So it's, it's like this, uh, the handy cam approach to filmmaking, right? Yeah, and you can just point and shoot. Point and shoot, yeah. And then you know, you learn how to like, okay, you can let's white balance it, uh, which is you know, uh, we don't know what the temperature is. Just put a white piece of paper in front of it and like adjust the white balance based on that, so you get true white. And just, you know, raise the light level and shoot. Mm-hmm. And that would be the approach. And then you would use tracks and you would frame for it, but nothing more in terms of trying to get better depth of field or, like, the glass quality. or that, 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 None of that was a conversation, you know. But sound, I had, like, no clue. Like, what, what are, you know, those basic shit, like, recorder and mixer and how they work and what's a good mic and when do you lab and when would you boom and, like, all that stuff was completely, like, I had to learn from scratch. Mm-hmm. So... Do you so the kind of equipment that you're getting? Are you ordering <clears throat> from other countries? Yes. I mean, are there rental houses in Pakistan? Or? Sort of, yeah, rental houses. But they're all, uh, yeah, they order. They would order from somewhere in Southeast Asia where it's a little cheaper. So the U.S. Ha- has good rates, but you also get good rates, and you will get them from China and Thailand and stuff. Same equipment. Okay. Uh, so they would order and get it there. But what they were getting was also very limited. Sort of like one, you know, X Y Z person bought this camera. And it's for this price, so like all the other equipment houses, rental houses will buy that camera, you know. Oh, and then okay, that's so. what you would look at. Yeah, it's almost like a because again, this is the day, f- you know, the no no internet really or no communication of that sort. So it's all word of mouth. Like, oh, that camera works okay, it does reasonably well. Yes, let's all buy that camera. And then everybody's like looking for that specific camera and not realizing that you know there's a whole world of like other possibilities, which is which opened up later on, obviously. Mm-hmm. And like you know, this TV stuff go, went from like these digital video cameras, which are heavy and bulky and not the best in any case, and went directly to like DSLRs because suddenly much smaller, you can create a rig very quickly. It's cheap. You can get glass. Mm-hmm. You get much better, you know, dynamics and obviously low light quality. Whatever, like it, it's better. Right, yeah. Just, just, just. You know, off the bat, and so. <clears throat> so this this part, I mean, so you're talking about like the the Pakistani uh, film industry. You wouldn't really call it an industry. I still don't. That what it is right now is not an industry because it's too small to be called an industry. Okay, so how? Okay, in the '90s though, was there like really anything happening? Yes, some stuff, but it was the 90s is when it, it sort of fizzled out. 70s and 60s are the heyday of like, which was a proper like you know film industry. Lots of cinemas, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands, not thousands, but maybe maybe thousands. I think uh, the technology was different, so like it was old technology. Because Can you talk about how that how that it declined and then how sort of it came back a little bit? Because I don't think, I mean, everyone knows about Bollywood. Yeah, everyone's heard about Bollywood. Oh, yeah. I actually looked up. I went to Ramoji Film Studios. Okay, in Hyderabad. That's where okay, I went. Okay. So. Uh, People don't realize like the, how the technology and then you know like the political climate of yes. Pakistan coincided to this complete collapse yes. of the system. Yes. Can you talk yes. a little bit about that? Sure. So, so the fifties, sixties, uh, late sixties, early seventies was the heyday of uh, Pakistani. Like we were at par with uh, you know Bollywood at that point in time. Having have we had our own big names? Um, the movies were big, but this is all thirty five millimeter, like old school technology that we that the industry had invested in. There were post houses, you know, that was that were developing film, um, but <clears throat> because of the sort of economic decline, uh, uh, because of one dictatorship that really sort of nationalized stuff, the economy went down, and they deregulated. Uh, the the um, 
currency got it used to be hooked up to or not hooked up to what is it called like it, it was balanced with whatever like with the US dollar it was linked to that okay. and then they did de- disconnect so that it was and fixed I, instead of floating or the other exactly. way around yeah yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah. I, I, but, but the point was like a dollar was like was had a fixed sort of relationship with the Pakistani rupee and because of economic policies etc it got delinked and there was hyperinflation for a while and so that that resulted in this um period in which they didn't update whatever the technology was and just keep using the same stuff and so it's all a physical medium at that point in time and so the quality it starts like sort of deteriorating a little bit because these are old projectors now old you know telecine machines um the the sorry the film itself the stock is expensive mm-hmm. um so all of that leads to this period in which the technology is not being updated really um and but all of there all of these cinemas that are still hooked up with you know 35 mm projectors so if you made a movie there was a circulation that could happen because of that then in the late 70 78 79 specifically zia came in and during that time period uh, which was this long a really oppressive sort of um, zia was at the dictator dictator yeah. again yeah. yeah this was at the time of the 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 uh, afghanistan uss war that was happening big conflict in the region we took sides um <clears throat> with america uh, incidentally uh, but we were going through this mad, massive deterioration that that sort of clamped down on uh, anything any any um, creative sort of expression of any sort and so cinema was part of the thing that got sort of um, affected by that um <clears throat> and then simultaneously that's the also the time period where the you know the digital sort of things started of like digital you know Uh, video coming in as as a format and then mm-hmm. when the VCR came in uh which is you know movies on tape uh suddenly you had an alternative you know way of consuming cinema and consuming cinema from anywhere so like nobody nobody had to like import a 35 mm print to like screen for you to be able to watch a movie a pirated film from China could be you know just brought you know somebody brings it in or imports it or whatever and then makes thousands of copies and it's available to everybody the same cop you know the shop that i was talking about earlier right. that sort of place so that also adds to the decline of the cinema because uh just the variety that was available in these pirated formats that were available you know dirt cheap uh was not available on on the big screen and they were doing nothing to actually update the new screens so they became these relics really that nobody wanted to go to um when you could have that same type of entertainment at home and a much bigger variety and it's more personal it's your time etc mm-hmm. and it's cheaper uh so that happened <clears throat> so for like because of that in the 90s you know movie production going you know from from like hundreds of movies being produced every year went down to like you know first to 100 then less than that then dozens then like a very you know a handful and those stuff that was being produced increasingly sort of started becoming the sort of stuff that would be in like uh in not porno theaters here but like really like big grade small um, niche sort of cinema mm-hmm. really like appealing to uh, a specific male um age group the demographic so the cinemas then sort of became associated with this crass type of cinema that's going to be made only with like you know crude sort of jokes and innuendo and all that and what that did was it just basically took the the families out of cinema it became this place where like young men would go only okay uh, so and that that sort of destroys this culture of movie like it being a source of entertainment for any age group or gender or whatever and restricted it to a certain class that could go or a certain type of audience that would go those were the only movies being made for cinema being made very cheap and uh, no they weren't big uh, nobody knew about them but you know that specific class went and watched that and that sort of led to the decline of like so so by the end of the 1990s early 2000s there was there were no movies being made like these cinemas had sort of wholesale shut down even if they were open they were you know they were the, the condition was just you know you would go in there and it would look like something that was abandoned in the 60s uh, which terrible. is when the technology for, yeah it's terrible there was nothing there so <clears throat> And then uh, Musharraf comes in, who incidentally is also a dictator. But one of the things that he did um, was that he opened up um, air, the the he deregulated the television sort of 
because television used to be state-owned, and now suddenly there was it was allowed for private uh, concerns to open up television. The other thing that they did was they lifted the ban on Indian cinema, which had been there, which had been in place for like twenty years under the guise of encouraging local cinema, but it had actually contributed to uh, you know uh, the decline of the cinema itself. So, so they banned Indian films from being shown in Pakistan as a way to promote Pakistan. Yes, but then the, the amount of films being made were declining at the same time, so yes. there's nothing to show in yes. the cinemas. Yes, yes, exactly. Man, that's... Yes, and that also ties up with the fact that the, the nationalistic sort of fervor that all of these dictators actually have at their disposal. Mm-hmm. So they will use that as a conduit for doing whatever they want, and one of the things, like our conflicts have always involved um, India uh, from since the time of partition. It's a young country, it's you know 70 years of partition since... Well, this year, 2017, 1947 is when the independence happened. Before okay. that, it used to be the subcontinent. So it's always been a, fract- a fractured sort of relationship. And um, so that played in really well with the whole rhetoric that was going on. And the like nationalism, okay, we're not going to watch Indian movies. We're not going to put them out. We're going to give our own cinema, you know, a chance to, like, flourish. Except our own cinema... Uh, couldn't compete with, you know, the VHS sort of revolution and couldn't compete with better quality stuff. Couldn't compete with itself, basically. It just mm-hmm. didn't have the what it needed at that time in terms of finances and technology and, and you know, production capacity to stand on its own and also the change in culture. So because of that, it had sort of disappeared. But so this regulation got changed, like Indian cinema being allowed again in. And Hollywood had always been... We, we, were, we had always come in very, very, like, we would get, like, the, you know, the two big blockbusters, or maybe, maybe a few more, maybe a dozen movies a year or something like that. And that would play, those would play in the same old 35 millimeter sort of, like, old cinema houses. But we went. I remember going to, I remember my first movie in the cinema, which was, you know, Tem- The Temple of Doom. Really? Indiana Jones was my first movie, yeah. Um, so we would get the big, like, you know, six blockbusters, like, we'd get that, I remember watching, you know, when Jurassic Park came out, that was a mm-hmm. big thing, uh, not that we weren't getting, like, we were getting everything, uh, when it came to VHSs, but these, like, a cinema release was, like, a the big thing, right, the experience of, of like, yeah. this big thing would just not be, uh, it's a very distinct memory, because I didn't, like, it didn't happen when I was a as young as most people are when they go to the cinema when they first watch their movie. Mm-hmm. Mine is much, much, an experience that happened much later, almost when I'm like six or seven or something like that. Um, you know, and my brother was with me, he was like three or four or something, so this is his first movie is at the right age, I guess. Right. Um, so then what happens is, because of uh, this deregulation, suddenly um, Bollywood movies, uh, sorry, Hollywood movies, which of which we, let's say, got a dozen in the year, there was suddenly a space for maybe, you know, a dozen Bollywood movies to come out. And everybody wanted to watch Bollywood movies. Uh, the, the, you know, the upper middle class specific, like 0.1%, 0.1% of the population wanted to watch the Hollywood. But like maybe 30, the top 30, 40% of the population wants to watch the Indian movie because it's in the same language. It's, it has these stars that they're familiar with. There's a lot more sort of affiliation with Bollywood or like the same stars and language and all that stuff than there would ever be with an English language movie, which we're bilingual, but, but only a small portion of the population is bilingual. Uh, the educated class is, not everybody is. So uh, do, you, do you learn English when you're in primary school? When yes. You're, okay. Yeah, yeah. But, but not all primary schools. Like the private schools that, you know, the, the middle class and the upper middle class goes to. Okay. Yeah, and then it depends on the family. So I grew up with it. Like I, I learned both languages preschool as well at, at home because my parents spoke both languages. Okay. Um, so it depends on which family you come from and what part of the population you are in. Um, so because of that, suddenly there was, like cinema owners just suddenly saw that this is, um, you know, a viable thing to invest in. And so um, they revamped, like some of these progressive sort of companies that saw this as a, you know, this this is also the time where like the economy had picked up and we were getting westernized and we're getting these malls and, you know, all the other accoutrements of a, you know, um, a developing sort of country. The infrastructure is getting better slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with that come these you know, big conglomerates who want to like cash in on other sources of, of entertainment other mm-hmm. than just maybe food is the other one, I think. Uh, you know, so like this is a business uh, that they want to invest in. And it suddenly become, 
it suddenly changed now because the equipment for it's expensive but digital is a different ball game compared to 35 millimeter both in terms of the kind of medium and what it requires so these new cineplexes which is the same as like a cineplex here multi-screen sort of you know cinema houses with mm -hmm. nice seating and air conditioning and all that stuff coming up that's the first time that's happening in a very long time um and then what's being shown there is not the sort of smutty, sleazy stuff that was being shown in that, that the other sort of cinemas have degenerated to. This is like family fair or like hyped up. So they're also aimed at the upper middle class now. Okay. Uh, they're not like, you know. So they're bringing a, a bigger audience back in. Suddenly it's bringing a small audience actually back in because now they're appealing to the elite as this elite sort of entertainment ah, okay. source. Right, uh, and the tickets are expensive. They're not necessarily affordable by everybody. Um, so, like you know, a, a ticket now would be like five hundred rupees, which is which is what it's a thousand rupees. It's, what am I doing? A one rupees, a hundred dollars, hundred one dollars, a hundred rupees. So like five bucks, okay. um, five or six bucks. Which you know, in terms of dollars, doesn't sound like a lot, but. Uh, uh, the five and six, so like you know, ten years ago, movie ticket here would be around that. Yeah, much. So it's yeah, gone up. Much. I know now. Yeah. It's like 15. well, not at the Athena Grand. It's still five bucks <laughs> yeah. for a matinee, which is amazing, amazing. right? Uh, yeah, I remember me and my, my, my the other another film student here, uh, Ryan Wilson. Me and him used to uh, drive down to was it Nelson? There's like a cinema house out there in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, and mm -hmm. you had like four buck on Mondays or like three buck, two buck or like oh I don't know. yeah, it's called they the. Some, some uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, we used to go every like it was like because it was even like it was even cheaper than cheap <laughs> to watch that movie, but the tickets back in Pakistan were like five bucks, which would be the same as like right now if a ticket was like for let's say in Pak in here if it was for like say twenty five bucks, mm -hmm. there's only a certain proportion of the population. Uh, everybody can afford it, but it's a little pricey. Uh -huh. So you would be selective about going to the cinema then, if if it costs you twenty five bucks a pop. Right. And then, so then you know if you are a family, then you want to go with your wife and like your two kids or whatever. That adds up because it's like paying a hundred dollars for an evening cinema yeah, watching becomes like you know. And then you, yeah. if you um, if you add up, uh, what do you call it? Like you know. What is it called? Concessions. Concessions. Are, exactly. So add another like 40, 50 bucks to that and then becomes expensive prospects. So that's the sort of like the, the equivalent of what was happening back home. But there was a huge population that had no other source of entertainment. So they were happy to like have that source as long as they got like plush seats and air conditioning and a nice movie. Right. And so and the, the, the upside of that is that that that, that makes that business viable. Mm -hmm. So that business started like so from having zero screens operational as the digital screens, you know, first like three cinemas pop up in the horn, the Karachi, the and then, you know, followed by Islamabad and starts growing very slowly. But over like maybe four or five years, it went from zero to like now, right now there's 97 cinemas in all of Pakistan, uh, which is still a very small number, but it's a much larger number than zero, uh, you know. And right. to create the self-sustaining, because it's a big, you know, setting up a cinema is not cheap. It's, it's an invest, you know, it's an investment. You mm -hmm. have to invest in the projector and the, you know, the property. If you're yep. trying to like do it in staff. urban centers, staff, exactly, te technology, screens, air conditioning, just the running of it. It's a, it's a business. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it depends, that business depends so much on stable content coming in. Yes. You know, so the, whatever you're selling needs to const there needs to be ample supply for it to be um, doable. For, uh, the Pakistani film industry is coming back. They mm -hmm. have a more wealthy audience, and uh, and where do you come in to that? Being a part of what is now happening in Pakistan. So um, I come in before the film industry starts back up. I I came into television. I got into it really early um, because I was doing student theater um, and then <clears throat> this was, you know, I was in high school and then in college and then that's roughly the time that the Pakistani television industry gets deregularized uh, de de as well and they start giving out licenses for cable channels and that leads to a friend of mine 
getting the opportunity to make a sitcom and I used to work with him in student theater so he offered me a part and I said of course and it's just like a bunch of kids um, it's like you know if, if you were to given the opportunity in the US to make like a cable like a local cable channel show mm-hmm. and you come up with something absurd and stupid except in Pakistan at that point in time the new channels that are coming up that are sort of like these mom and pop little um, you know local network channels are actually being broadcast all over the country um, and it's this new concept so just by stroke of luck I, I, I get um, you know roped into doing a sitcom which is one of the first sitcoms that happens in Pakistan and it becomes extremely successful and recognized and well known and that sort of starts me off on doing or thinking of doing this as a thing because we were just doing it you know as you know for the same reason that anybody does theater anywhere else in the world which is a form of expression and you get to you know hang out with other kids um and you're doing something by yourself it's you know that sense of achievement and you write and whatever if you're artistically inclined it's one way of exploring that right and in in my case it just leads to this completely different uh life that is becoming increasingly possible which didn't even wasn't even a thing that i would have thought of earlier because at this point in time i'm i'm in this this you know the premier technical university in pakistan doing a degree in software engineering really yeah, yeah. I, my first degree is in software engineering so i'm like a you know i'm the it support uh okay at that point right. in time but then also like so strangely like how it's interesting how things come together uh 2002 is when also my is the year i'm supposed to graduate 2001 is when the uh the it bubble bursts in the us and the graduates from my program were primarily being poached by american uh you know software companies back in the day so we were you know the first sort of batch of people that is that from around the world are coming in to work for you know whatever like microsoft and apple and yahoo and all the companies that were oracle who were hiring from pakistan and india mm-hmm. but because of that bubble where suddenly like a lot of companies go under and you know the big companies stop hiring suddenly and you know what we were being produced because there was no local software industry in pakistan either uh it was a small you know software houses but they were also primarily working to um fill orders for companies in the US and Europe. So you're being prepped to leave the country to work. leave to leave the country or work for that industry. Yes. Okay. Uh, or work in you know there is a couple of big companies in Pakistan who again like are using local resources to make stuff for into the international market mm-hmm. and preparing like whatever doing the software sort of side of many things that the companies in the US would much rather get it done outside because it's cheaper. Uh but so my point being that I do this degree and I come out and and one I'm not terribly interested in pursuing that as a you know as a thing uh this university that I go to which is this world class university in Pakistan I think the first of its kind at that point we only had one medical school that was really well recognized and this com- this is the new university that came up which was you know the standard the, the the American standard actually probably slightly better because it's the elite school in Pakistan mm-hmm. uh but it starts very small so it only has two majors Uh, at the undergraduate level one is economics and the other one is computer science and i'm doing computer science and i graduate and suddenly computer science doesn't exist as a thing to do <laughs> that's just the worst <laughs> yeah <laughs> so then that also like pushes me to maybe if the if you know if this software engineering had industry had been like booming at that point in time all of my friends the year before me left uh for they're they're now they're they are right now in silicon valley and they work for they're in high positions in yahoo and not yahoo nobody works for Yahoo in like you <laughs> like know Google and, and Amazon and Google mm-hmm. and you know this friend of mine is the, the, the vice president something or the other at eSports and oh, wow. so they're like yeah so they they've done really well for themselves but I was never that person in any case like always like inclined towards other things and like I said there was there were no film schools or anything like that back home or anything for the performing arts uh, visual arts media no schools and so i didn't have a choice i was doing this not because i wanted to do this uh but because i there was nothing else to do and i was smart enough to get into a good school um so you so you got a, a fulbright scholarship so years later okay not <laughs> so i yet, did not this yet. yeah okay. not yet not with so i did my undergrad this is i finished my undergrad in 2002 okay 2000 and then i because you know on the back of that and still doing that television show which i started doing when i was in undergrad um the, the tv show I I you know get got some face recognition 
and that you know as work leads to anywhere in the world like you know one sort of work led to another so I started doing more acting work for other things then I started writing for TV then I started sort of you know directing and then me and this production partner of mine started a small production company making television shows for you know the, these new up-and-coming sort of cable networks uh, so that's how I got into just making stuff um, um, and all the while I am working for the non-government sort of sector, the NGO sector, making my like daily wages of money through that or through consultancy work or something like that, mm-hmm. while doing these TV stints, you know, once a week or like twice a week. Acting was easier. Writing I could do at home. Acting, uh, you know, was usually a day-long gig if I was on something or the other, so I could take right. a day off or, or just organize it so that it was on the weekends, something like that. And then when I started my production company, then I started sort of doing this full-time for a tiny bit, for a couple of years, something like that, because we were producing our own things, and that was generating enough money for me to not really have a job, just do odds, bits, and ends in terms of consumption. Nice, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's, one of those, it's, well, it's funny because, um, I mean, there, it's, it's, uh, the timing of your, your visit was really great because, um, so, so you're, you're in... Okay, do you live most... Do you spend most of your time in Pakistan? Yeah. Okay, and then... So you came here to, to screen your film. Yes. Um, I do want to talk about that because that's, sure. it is a very big deal. Okay. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the title. Is it Dabare... F- Pir. Say it again? Dabare Pirse. Okay. Which means again and again. Again and again. Okay, yeah. all right, cool. Yeah. So I, my background with, with um, like Southeast Asian cinema uh-huh. was limited to an animated film of the Ramayana. Okay. Um, from like the eighties or okay. something like okay. that. Okay, so it's terrible animation. Ter- yes, yeah. yes, way back, yeah. way back. I mean, it, like, it was like Transformers animation <laughs> for the Ramayana. <laughs> and um, and then when I was when I was in India, I saw a couple of, of Bollywood films. Okay. And and then I got to visit, like I said earlier, yeah. uh, Ramoji Film Studio. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really know a whole lot, but I knew that like I, I know that I don't like musicals. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just not a big fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I neither like, am I. That's the funny bit. I'm so, not. I don't like musicals at all. Okay, so explain, <laughs> if you will, how you ended up writing a feature-length <laughs> film with a bunch of music in it. That's essentially like, it, it's it's a romance. It's a romance. yeah. It's a romantic drama, sort of a melodrama with like it's a musical with a bunch of music. Of yeah. And a bunch, and, and it's, and can you tell how that, just how that, how, how the hell did that happen? Uh, so how far back do you want me to go into it? Like just, um, well, just, we don't have just, a whole lot of time. Yeah, so, so let's I don't just wanna... talk about the movie itself. Yeah, let's talk about it. I that. had written, uh, so when I went back, we were trying to get this indie-ish sort of movie um, together, me and my directing partner. Um, and she and I had written this little crime drama, which is, is like this, I told you earlier. Marine, yeah. Marine. It's still Marine. I met Marine in New York while I was a student here for my Fulbright okay. uh, at OU, which was my MFA. Um, I'd met Marine. Mimi had already done a feature-length movie, an indie international cinema movie, which had done really well. It premiered at Tribeca and then did the rounds everywhere in the world, like the big sort of festivals. Uh, but then didn't really... At that point in time, this is like 2007 or 8 or something, there's no local Pakistani cinema, so it doesn't really get a real release anywhere because there aren't any cinemas. So she'd done one, she wanted to do another one. I, we, there was no cinema back home, so there was no requirement for what sort of a movie needs to be written. We were trying to write another indie sort of Pakistan-based thriller, whatever, like, like a little small indie movie, mm-hmm. right? Aimed at the international language sort of market. Um, and uh, we wrote that, we did several drafts of it, we got a lot of people interested, we never really managed to get the financing together for it, or what we thought we needed. Um, so so that happens, that happens throughout the time that I'm here, and then I move back to Pakistan, and I start teaching at one of the new film schools that has opened up while I'd been gone, uh, so that becomes my day job, and meanwhile I'm still trying to make this movie, it's not happening. And then me, so then Mehreen says, look, that's not happening, so why don't we try and write something much smaller? Some, some other financier had come up, and they were trying to do this tel, you know, made-for-TV film festival or something like that that was going to have involved India and Pakistan. So I had some prestige attached to it, not a lot of money. So we knew we didn't have a lot of money, so I wrote this really small Bergman-inspired, uh, like, four-person drama that happens in one house that's in sort of, like, four acts, like, four short films, um, when each 
each short film or like each portion of it, each quarter of it is a different portion in the length of the same relationship. Okay. So like the four like insights into the trajectory of a relationship between a couple and um, uh, it's it's told out of order the four quarters are not uh, linear okay so you know different portions of it appear at different times and they all sort of are a single take sort of or like happen in real time so it's like instead of like experimenting with you know uh, w- what can be done with money if you don't have money I thought let's experiment with form and see what I can do with a very small budget in a very small space it's contained we can do this on a low budget but it'll be interesting to do this weird sort of way of looking at a relationship so I wrote that and because of Mehreen two of the stars two of the big like sort of TV or like actors in Pakistan who are f- friends because you come from that community Mehreen has a, is a much bigger name than I am and she talks to like these two big actors uh, the male actor is actually the guy who ended up being the male actor in the movie, in, in our movie here. Uh, the guy who played Hamad? Hamad, exactly. Okay. And the female was another actor who was supposed to play the female role in this movie, um, w- but we lost her to a Bollywood film. Mm-hmm. And she and he, uh, the, the, he read the script and they really loved it and they were totally up for like, let's make this movie. Uh, it's small, it's like doable, it's very interesting. They were in it for not the money, but because it was an interesting thing that they would get to do and it would be lit film as opposed to television okay so it's this indie thing you know I'm writing a normal like an indie movie it's not a musical there's nothing in there it's like mm-hmm. a normal experimental sort of that sort of movie that you would make here except it would be right. in English so it just happens to take place in Pakistan yeah. with Pakistan it's, but it's normal yeah, exactly okay but it's the same like you would be able to watch it anywhere anyway so this as soon as these two names get dashed to it suddenly the the you know the big studio who wants stars, they're like, oh, Meryn wants to make a movie, she's a big name, and these two stars want to be in this movie, those are two big names. Mm-hmm. Scratch that, that, you know, the telefilm plan that you have with those guys, why don't you just come on board with us and let's make a feature film, and that can be our first, like, big financial, you know, the feature film that we make, and they have a lot of money. So that's how this whole journey starts. But then they're like, you know, we're making a feature. This is a feature film. If we're making a feature film, then let's like add, let's make it big. We have the money for it. Mm-hmm. Why is it happening in a house? Like, okay, so, so like, it should, yeah, you know, it should happen bigger. And Marine has access to New York and you have been to New York. So can we do a portion of it in New York and it be that sort of a story? Like, yeah, that can be the story. But yeah, it's a big feature film. So, you know, we need music for it. It has to have songs in it. And so, like, you see this, you know, this whole thing spiraling sort of out of where it's, like, completely to a different place. And then me and Marina are thinking, like, you know, that movie was called Char Baatein, which means, like, four things. Because it's in quarters, Char Baatein is a little phrase that also means uh, a a conversation. It's like a euphemism for a conversation. Okay. And so, like, I'm doing this, you know, artsy sort of play on words and thing with that movie and suddenly this one starts becoming something completely different that I had no sort of intention of, you know, doing. But then, so now it's the, every time somebody asks me like about doing a feature film, I my first thing is like, you know, the thing that I say now is like, be careful what you wish for. Because, you know, you, that's what you wish for. Like somebody is going to let me make a movie and, and then they say, yes, yes we are. This is the movie that we're going to let you make. <laughs> right. Okay. So so then it starts when we're like, okay, I, we have to put in five songs. Mehreen isn't a big, you know, fan of the musical form either. Neither am I. But we're like, okay, how do we make subversively try and like put in these songs in this movie without actually them all of them being like these synchronized song and dance numbers? We try to do our version of that. And yeah. I have to say, you did an amazing job. Thank you so much for saying I, that. You I, tried really hard. <laughs> I was really impressed. Like the scene in, in the. In the restaurant where it was, there was a, a live band on stage. Like it made sense, and the fact that the characters knew each other, mm-hmm. like it tied into the story. And then the car scene and the wedding scene, like it didn't, it didn't distract me from the story in a way where I went, "Oh, here's another song." I was like, "Oh, that's a nice way to do it." So that makes sense if if Marion and, and you. Neither yeah, we thought really. like we have to like do our version of this. We can't possibly like the only time it actually starts becoming like a complete, you know, I'll take you out of this moment sort of mm-hmm. thing is the wedding song where right. we let ourselves be. But that's also the sort of event where you could be like, you could show them, 
you know, this heightened sort of reaction because what's happening on screen in any case is heightened. Is this big, bright wedding, which is how weddings are in Pakistan. So would it be fair to say that this film is actually, in some way, a subversive indie take on... <laughs> A I South don't think, Asian musical. <laughs> it's, it's not indie enough, I think. I think yeah, we do actually have to toe the line with a bunch of things that, that did have to. It couldn't, we couldn't have done it in a snarky uh, way. We couldn't have done it in a way that where it belittles the form itself. So you had to be sincere. We had to be sincere with what we were doing. It's just our version of doing it and not doing it way over the top. You know, okay. just because just, but just by virtue of doing it, it is over the top to start with. Just the, the thing mm -hmm. is that unnatural. You know, this musical form itself is over the top right just by virtue of what it is so we you know we try to do the the least uh, sort of gimmicky version of that by by trying to subsume things into the story and using trying to use the songs to forward the storyline as well uh, you know just the interplay between characters and what's happening and building chemistry and they're getting to know each other and they're showing through some of the songs that are happening Mm -hmm. And then we sort of absorb some of the rest of the songs as like background score for moments, uh, for little montage sort of sequences that also make to take the movie forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and then and another you, like you wrote the lyrics. Too. I wrote the lyrics to, to to three or four of the songs. Yes. Okay. I also do. I also I'm a part of that. I guess generation of people that are um, hooked up with the music industry back home. My best friend is one of the big like you know. Uh, whatever, like music producers in Pakistan. Okay. I grew up, it just happened to be, it's a weird like coming of, like coming together of things. Two of my best friends that I went to school with and then college with are the two big pop names in Pakistan. Very big. Uh, so like, it just so happens that I, I happen to know these people. Uh, and they're, they're big, they're also very good. I don't have anything, but because I was a writer for a very long time, I've actually written lyrics for these friends of mine for a while. And for so when this movie came about, it was like a great opportunity for me and Merin as well, who would be like, well, I'll let's let's get you know Ali Hamza and Zayn, those are the two big names. I'm like, let's get them to do a song, or like let's get Hanya. Like, these are all like people that we know are are at least or at most are like one degree of separation away. Mm -hmm. So this was the fun bit that if we are going to do the songs. I'm going to get my the people that I love working with do those songs. So, so you were able to do them in a way that wasn't a chore. Yes. Because you got to work with people that yes, you like yes, and you're yes. friends with. Exactly, exactly. It's the same, like, if you were friends with somebody from, I don't know, I don't, I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the name would be. I, yeah, I, whatever. I don't know. Right, like, my, my musical heroes, I mean, if would I be? could, if they were my friends, I could, yeah. oh, it would be great if I could call up, you know, Randy from Lamb of God or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, be like, you know, we're, I'm doing a movie and we know. need a number, would you be interested in working on that? And be mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to write the lyrics, we can write them together, this is where it's going to sort of fit in, so can we have, thematically, like, keep it in this world, and, and then, yet not, a, like, ev almost every single person that we called up was like on board immediately and be like, yes. yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, and it's amazing that. like how, and this is something Steve was talking about, mm -hmm. like the cinematography and the editing, editing and the lighting and everything was like so beautiful and professional that I never felt like I was watching a cheap production, mm -hmm. but you did it for way less than your average Hollywood film. Way, way less, yes. Which was, and the fact that you jumped back from, you know, New York to, was it, is it Karachi? Is yes, that the, yes. You're jumping back and forth, but you were able to use the locations in a really nice way and and I don't know, I was, for that not being my kind of film, mm -hmm. I was really impressed with what you came up with. Mm -hmm. and, and I, I really can't wait to see what you do next. And I really hope that you're able to, I. <laughs> I hope you get the financing to do what you I want so to do too. next. I hope so too. Uh, but yeah, but, but then, you know, the credit for that, like we, if there is credit to be given to Marine, a little bit to myself, but mostly to her and for like sticking to her guns is for picking the right people to work with. So Andreas, who's our... DP has this interesting connection with, you know, Ohio University as well. Right, he worked on Annie Howell's he, film. And right? he, he worked on Annie Howell's film. He's, he's, like, he's a working DP who has a connection with Pakistan because of his wife. So he's been there before. So he's in this unique position of having come from this working sort of, uh, you know, New York DP sort of background. This was his, like, whatever, like, fifth or sixth movie that he's done. Mm -hmm. So he's, this is not his first, like, gig. And, you know, before that, lots of, like, he does, he's, like, he's won to Emmys for, oh, wow. you know, TV work that he, work for, like, network work, you know, CDs and stuff like that. Okay. So he's, he's, he knows what he's doing. And then our editor, this was her third or fourth movie. She is Indian, has been editing in India, but has this unique aesthetic. She does, like, the indie sort of cinema in India. 
uh, and has edited some lovely movies and we knew that we wanted somebody who could tell the South Asian sort of version of a uh, uh, nice dramatic story but wasn't like way over the top uh, mm-hmm. as, as Bollywood is but, but we also needed somebody who just understood the language you know and had some and we got really lucky with Deepika who is um, d- uh, Bombay based and came, came did some editing there came over to New York edited with Mehdi in New York flew back edited more from India and we kept like you know, bouncing uh, edits between her and Deepika and me as well, who's involved in the whole thing. And just so that it came about. But she has a really sharp eye and did a really good job, I feel. So, yeah, we like it's all a matter of like picking people. Just getting the right crew together. Right crew together, people picking the, in my case, like, I mean, the mantra is like, you know, picking people who are better than I am at, at, at doing this. So you and learned so, a lot. So I learned a lot. Yeah, it's very selfish, but it also is the best the best thing for the movie. Like you no. get people who are more de- more more adept at doing this, and something good will happen. Yeah. And and then also while you're working, you discover who you work well with. And we were very lucky and like I think Marine and Andreas work really well together. Good good chemistry and communication. Marine is very good to work with generally. Uh, very like a very solid filmmaker, mm-hmm. and thinks the right way and asks the right questions, and it's very collaborative. Oh, like I don't think a writer can actually have a better, or or like a director would give this much leeway to a writer on a set, even though I'm in the capacity of producer doing something else. But she is. It's almost to, to a point where I will, I will have to say, or I will say, like it's, you know, it's your movie, it's your call. I mean, it's very nice that you're asking, but she will ask opinions and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and be very like collaborative about the whole thing yeah. uh, which is um, the best sort of relationship you can have on a set that's that's great I think I think we're actually out of time Bilal but okay. thank you so much for coming screening your film for taking the time to sit down and talk with me it was really great to see your perspective and hear what you have to say about the entire process and thank uh, you so much. if there's ever an opportunity or you need someone who's American who looks like me to help you out on your films in Pakistan <laughs> I would sure. I would You'll be there? Absolutely. I would, I would love you. Please, please. You, you have my number, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Excellent. So, yeah. thank you once again. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. I should be back pretty soon, but if not, then I'll be back later. <laughs>